Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside. In this interview, I'm talking to New Zealand Labour MP Louisa Wall about the passage of a piece of legislation banning conversion therapy. The day we recorded this interview, it was Louisa's birthday. Louisa Wall, kia ora, and a very big happy birthday to you, my darling. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I'm feeling uh, like this is a time of reflection in my life. Yeah, why is that? Well, someone said to me, you're 50 now, so that's quite a significant age, but I guess I can start planning my next 50 years, which I thought was pretty cool, actually. 50 is the new 20, I think, to be honest with you. Oh, well, I'll take that because um, I think in my mind it means something that I don't feel I am because <laughs> I... You know, I, I think there's a lot more to do, a lot more to um, to contribute. And, and actually, um, I get to be called FIRE now. I oh, is that probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I do have a status. <laughs> That's fantastic. So I'm, go- I'm going to take it. And uh, and what a birthday present that this week um, New Zealand bans conversion therapy. You must be um, on cloud nine over that as well. Oh, look, all I can... Um, kind of highlight at this time has been the activism of our community, as always, who um, for many years talked about what was happening to them, who highlighted these issues, and then there was some formal organisation in in 2018, and you have the emergence of the Chanel's and the Max Tweedies and, you know, the um, Green and Labour youth groups, youth wings, I guess, asserting themselves and then activists like Amanda Ashley um, who used her her story. And, and most of us have leveraged off our experiences, right, mm-hmm. which have been horrific and which have um, challenged us and harmed us, but we've prevailed um, mostly. But we know that there's many members of our community who have been through these types of therapies or practices now because a therapy um, – kind of assumes it has some legitimacy, whereas we know none of these practices have legitimacy. Um, They kind of reek of uh, the historic positioning of us as as another, as criminals, as deviants, and all those types of things, which is why I also like our framing around banning conversion practices, which are abhorrent um, and which we've kind of endured uh, for so, so many years. And now been part of a country, the seventh in the world now, to stand up uh, and to criminalise the practice that has been perpetrated on on some of us and for some of our communities continues to be and actually give us the tools now to stand up to that by, again, having to voice our um, experiences, but in saying that there will be a response from the criminal justice system and, and obviously from the human rights system if we make these complaints to holding those people accountable because now it's not ironic but society has evolved where they will become the criminals they will be the ones who will be punished because we no longer will tolerate the you know inherent discrimination and anyone trying to say that there's something wrong with us and we don't deserve the right to live and exist in the world as we are. And, and there, there's lots of uh, evidence from around the world about how these practices cause um, sometimes irreparable harm and even uh, self-harm for many LGBTQ people. And, oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that has been the rationale from professional organisations, from you know, uh, the Australasian um, psychologists from the Psychiatric Association in the United States, from um, the social workers here in New Zealand. And in fact, a lot of the professional 
groups that came uh, to the select committee were really clear um, in issuing position statements and categorically denying that these types of practices um, actually are condoned in any way. There's no scope of practice around any of them. They recognise the harm that they do and they are pretty clear uh, and for their members that if any of them breaches um, uh, the, the ethics or the, the codes that they will have, then they will not be able to practice in New Zealand. And so that was reassuring. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, the um, American Psychiatric Association, I think that's what they're called, um, said that uh, homosexuality was not an illness almost 50 years ago. It was in the 70s. So it's remarkable that some people have clung to this idea that, well, it is an illness, there is something wrong with you. I think the institutionalisation and the systemization of um, the medicalization of us um, has taken a long time to deconstruct. Um, but I do think that we've tipped over and most clinicians who now practice um, in that psychological psychiatric space uh, recognise that um, well, there is nothing wrong with us, that we aren't a disease, that we actually are having to face dis inherent discrimination within society or families or community. I think the barriers still exist for our community, however, within their re religious space, where there still remains that philosophy or doctrine about um, us um, being broken, about something being wrong, about homosexuality being um, not only a sin, but meaning that there is an obligation on everyone else who's not to reform us. And that, that justification in the select committee was interesting to hear in spite of saying, but you doing that says to that young person that there's something wrong with you, that you're broken, that you don't have a right to exist. And when you say that we can help you, but they know inherently and innately that they can't be cured because it's who they are, I said, aren't you recognising the inherent harm? And I still think in some religious doctrines, uh, if the outcome is suicide, they don't mind. They actually accept that as, a, as an outcome because of the sin that that person has. And I think that's what needs to be addressed and eroded I, because I believe within the medical system, the ethics around the do-no-harm ethic, um, being held accountable by your professional body, that you are a professional uh, who has to go through a registration process, will weed out people who may believe that. But I still think that within religion generally, we need a transformation in that space, and I think it's still, you know, a generation away. And I, I kind of couple that with uh, what's come out of the Royal Commission and into abuse and care, and now the level of, of um, pedophilia that has existed and exists in our churches, and how they're just starting to confront that, which actually is all about sexuality and being able to be free to express it and how people have hidden it and how actually in some instances they've um, the most vulnerable cohort that you could ever have that is children continue to be exploited so we've still got a long way to go um, but yes I'm incredibly proud to belong uh, to a party that prioritised it and actually followed through as a, as a bill led through this house by a minister
which I think is hugely significant. Not a, an individual backbench MP uh, who's pushed for this law reform, um, you know, without the support of their political party. Do you have any thoughts on the eight who voted against in the end? Um, I think for them, you know, when I look at those that uh, voted against, many of them believe uh, in, in freedom of religion and in freedom of speech. Um, they believe that there will be um, a limitation on their ability to believe what they believe. And, and it's true. There is. So if you um, ascribe to a, a religious order, say Catholics, and you still inherently believe that um, you know, if you're LGBT, if you're homosexual, then you're a sinner and you, and you must be saved, uh, then we do want you to change your mind, actually. But the, legis the legislation doesn't affect people's thinking. It actually affects their behaviour. And what it's saying is you have absolutely no right to try and convert, literally convert somebody else uh, from who they are intrinsically. That's true. But therein lies, I think, the complex reality of people who practice those religions because they would say that it, it's their obligation with, within their um, particular, um, you know, I, I call it membership of, of whatever that religion is to actually do that next step because they, in their minds, are saving somebody and, and you know, making them able to go to heaven and doing God's will. And I, and I think that those will be the challenges going forward as the justification of some people's actions because you're right we can all think what we like but if that thinking then gives rise to actions and our actions where we think we're helping but in fact we're not and I, and I think um, that will be some of the, the challenges within religious organizations which in fact I think marriage equality helped broker in some ways because we were really clear um, that people had the right to freedom of religion that religious organisations could define marriage themselves and that members of that group, if they chose to be part of that group and then ascribe to that belief system, you know, they could practice freely and limit who could and couldn't get married. And we've seen reform across many of the, the churches, but they have to decide that for themselves. And I think in that decision-making process, the talking about it, some people have left churches and gone to other churches who are more open who um, who actually have a different um, ethic of Christianity and a, and a way of practising Christianity, where they do not want to harm and they want to be inclusive and accept. So that'll happen, but again, it's over time. And what support do we have in place for those people to be able to come forward and to go through these processes? Because ultimately, we still will rely on the resilience and capacity of our community who experience these practices to come forward and to make the complaints and to go through the process, which means they have to share the vulnerability of, of what these practices, um, what they looked like, what they felt like, how they made them feel, and ultimately um, put themselves out there, and especially if it, if it becomes criminal, because you have to go through the court system. Yeah. At least now they have the law on their side, though. We know that morally and legally it's wrong. That's right. And I so those eight people, going back to your primary question, what they're saying is that um, in the balance of rights, they still uh, are prepared to accept a level of abuse and a level of harm to our community 
in the expression of freedom of religion or freedom of speech. And they'll have to live with that. And so, you know, it'll be their constituents uh, who in the end will make the judgment about whether or not that accords with uh, their view of the world. Indeed. Um, well, Louisa, really nice to talk to you and um, thank you for your words on that. And hopefully you'll have the rest of the day. We'll be happy. You can have put your feet up, maybe have some cake. Oh, I have to, a little confession, I've had, I've had a piece of cake. My, um, my sister and mum and my um, beautiful 19-month-old um, niece have sent me a cake, but I've been very good. I cut it up and I've shared it around the office. But what I haven't had is a glass of bubbles, which I'll have as soon as I get home Excellent. and uh, be able to celebrate with my beautiful wife. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really proud to be 50. How about that? Yay, <laughs> fantastic. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was New Zealand Member of Parliament Louisa Wall talking about the passage of legislation banning conversion therapy. Now, on my website, andrewwhiteside.com, you can find plenty more great content. You can also sign up for my regular newsletters, which are full of goodness. I am Andrew Whiteside. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.